Come on. Good morning, Go Church family. How you feel today? You feel good? Come on. You look great. Got a little bit of extra sleep. Come on, somebody. Hey, I believe that today as you pulled in from the street and then all the way to your seat, you were greeted by somebody or a few somebodies. But I don't want to miss this opportunity to stand in front of you and tell you what a joy it is, what an honor it is to have you here at Go Church today. Your Bible says, watch this, this is the day the Lord has made so we can be glad and rejoice in it. So can we put our hands together, just rejoice in the Lord today. Come on. There we go. Honored that you're here. Really glad you're here. Let me look at the cameras in the back of the room. I want to greet everybody in our Germantown, Maryland campus, 702 miles from here. We say good morning to all of you. You got snow in the ground in Maryland. Come on, how about that? It's cold here, but there is no snow. So we hope you enjoy the day there. And then everybody watching online, we greet all of you. Whoever you are and wherever you're watching from, we say God bless you. And then how about this church family? We are five Sundays away, not just from Easter, but five Sundays away from launching our Westside Atlanta campus. Come on, isn't that great? So really exciting to be a part of Go Church. So keep clapping. Welcome Germantown, everybody online. And then we say God bless you. Love it. And then many of you know this, we have this weekly tradition here that before we get into the message, we pause to give honor to the brave men and women that serve in the military and all of our courageous first responders. So of all of the applause of appreciation for groups of people, the group that puts their life on the line to serve and protect ours, they deserve the best encouragement and the highest applause. So come on, about five, six, seven, eight, ten seconds. Come on, clap, church. Come on, if you can whistle, whistle. If you can shout, shout. Let them know you love them. There we go. Good. Hey, one quick announcement. We'll get right into the message today. Many of you know that in the month of March, we have revamped and relaunched what we're calling Move Track. And Move Track is now a four part discipleship pathway for you and your family. I know many of you have been a part of Move Track in the past, but I want to encourage you that if you are new to Go Church, Or maybe you've been attending for a while here at Go Church. Or maybe you went through Move Track in the past. Watch this. This is your very next step here. We've expanded the curriculum of Move Track to really create an emphasis on discipleship. We got four steps a part of the Move Track curriculum. Step one is understanding the gospel. Step two is learning the spiritual disciplines. Step three, which is next week, is discovering your purpose. And then the final step we'll tell you about. Uh, membership here at Go Church. And so we're, we're telling you that you can jump into Move Track at any step. These happen on the first four Sundays of every month. But for example, next Sunday is step number three. But you can jump right into step number three, even if you've not yet finished or started steps one and two. So you can go online, you can go through the app, or you can stop by next steps to sign up. And next Sunday, they're going to be talking about discovering your purpose. And this is a big one. Dr. Henry Cloud says this, The greatest way to get out of depression is to discover your God-given purpose. The thing, if you can find the thing that wakes you up every morning and forces you to get out of bed, the very thing that you would say, I have to accomplish this thing before I die, that's how we overcome different battles of depression and even anxiety. It's fresh vision and purpose for your life. So I hope that next Sunday that each of you jump into step number three and you find that thing 
you find your purpose. Move Track is a great discipleship process, and I hope that you're enjoying it. Today, we had a room full, over 80 people in Move Track today. They were a part of the first gathering there. Have you enjoyed that so far? Come on, if you've been a part of it, if you liked it, I think you have. For those of you that not yet been, they don't know if they should clap or just stare, but that's all right. For those of you not yet involved, get in the game. Get in the move track. It's a great next step. And then the reason that you came today, I believe that God has a word for you. Anybody need a word? Anybody hungry for the word? Come on. So I want you to take something out to write with. Make sure you get a sermon note card and a seat back pocket in front of you. If you got your journal, this is a great time to get that out. If you're using your smartphone to take notes, maybe flip it on airplane mode so you don't get distracted by text messages and lunch plans come on out but I want everybody to write some thoughts down we got a lot of bible we're going to walk through today a few practical thoughts for you and your family and we're talking about the family I'm going to pray for you you pray for me and then we'll jump into this conversation and I'm even a little bit cautious to tell you this but today I'm asking for a little bit of extra prayer for me can you do that all week long since Tuesday I've been battling a stinking kidney stone come on now and if you've ever had a kidney stone you You just said, oh, because you've had that. They say that a kidney stone for a man is like a childbirth for a woman. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but this would be my 22nd child. Come on, somebody. (laughs) And I'm done with them. I'm done having kidney stone babies in Jesus' name. So I've been standing on God's word all week, and here's the verse for my life. This too shall pass. Come on. (laughs) That's funny. You can laugh on daylight savings time. So if you'll pray for me today, and if any point in this message, I just run off the stage, you just begin to pray, and Kimberly, you come take the reins and finish the sermon, all right? Stretch your hands my direction. I'm going to pray for you. As you do that, let's take five seconds here. Reset our mind. Reset our heart. Let the Holy Spirit speak to us as we dive in. You ready? Come on. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for meeting us here today. Thank you for strength been a tough week but you've been faithful to us Lord and I thank you for the chance to stand on this platform and to preach your word it's overwhelmingly humble that you would use somebody like me it is never my desire to try to impress one person I can't do that but I know that when the anointing of the Holy Spirit comes on my life that you can impact people and that your word never returns void. I got one job today, Lord, and that's to be obedient to you, to make Jesus famous. I don't want to be famous. I don't even want Go Church to be famous. I want Christ to be famous and his church to be famous. So I humble myself low. I ask that the cross of Jesus would go before me and that you would anoint me today from the top of my head to the sole of my feet and if you'll give me strength for 40 minutes to preach this message I'll be forever grateful and then when I get home if you'll let this kidney stone pass I will be eternally grateful in el nombre de Padre Hijo y Espíritu Santo and the whole church said amen and amen can we give Jesus Christ the highest praise come on come on if we're going to clap for Jesus let's clap well come on good Second week, we're talking about family here, and I talked about this in the introduction of last week. It feels appropriate to lay a little groundwork or context for today because a series on the family is tough. It's challenging, 
And the reason for the challenges is because of our different experiences with the family dynamic. How many of you are part of, it's just a cra- you're part of a crazy family. Come on, admit that, own it. If you're wondering, if you're thinking right now, who is the crazy person in my family? It's you. Come on, somebody. <laughs> part of a crazy family. Some of you are part of a blended family. That's my story. Uh, my father, before he married my mother, he was married once before and had three children. My mother, before she married my father, she was married once before and she had three children. A little, a little fun part of their story there, they actually met each other in the divorce lawyer's office. Come on, somebody. I know my mom's watching. It's your story, mama. It ain't mine. <laughs> and so my dad was getting a divorce. My mom was getting a divorce. And I guess they thought, well, hey, we should go out on a date. They went on a date to the Holiday Inn back in the day when hotels would have concerts to see an Elvis impersonator who just happened to be my half-brother Terry. Come on now. <laughs> and on their very first date, my half-brother Terry announced that his dad and my mom would be getting married. And for some reason, my mom said yes to my father. They were 17 years apart in age. My dad's 17 years older than my mom. They got married, had the, the six children between them. At 50 years of age, uh, my, I was born to my, my mother and father, my mom being 33, my dad being 50 years old. I remember the first fist fight that I ever got into uh, was at the bus stop when my dad dropped me off in elementary school. The guys at the stop knew that it was my dad, but one of the kids said, oh, your grandpa dropped you off again today. And I just reared back and in the name of Jesus, laid hands on him. Come on, somebody. And I've been a bad dude ever since. (laughs) You know, so we've got our own testimony, we've got our own story. We're blended. Uh, I'm the seventh in the family. I I kid with my my siblings all the time that it took them seven tries to reach perfection. Come on, somebody. How many of you by a show of hands, you're the smartest person in your whole family? Come on, that's me too. We're alike. I understand all that, you know. But our dynamic of family is different. Words like mother, father, brother, sister, grandmother, grandfather, those aren't emotionally neutral words. Uh, That resonates a lot more closely when you listen to the generosity moment a video a moment ago with the ladies from a house of Cherith. And one of the ladies talking about how physical abuse and even sexual abuse happened at the hands of a family member. So the way that someone like that would process their own understanding of a family or familias, it's different than us. Some of you grew up in a blessed situation with a mom and a dad and a home and a white picket fence and a dog named Pookie, come on. But not everybody has the same story. And so whenever we try to tackle the the concept of family, it's unique because your experiences are different. And then here's the second reason it's challenging. Our seasons of family are different. So some of you are in a a season of of being single, and that's not a bad place to be. Embrace the season of singleness. Come on. Some of you are engaged. Some of you are married. Some of you are divorced. Some of you are going through a separation. Some of you, your children are grown, and they're out of the house, and now your grandparents. Come on, where are my grandparents at? Come on. They say, this is what they say, listen to me, parents, all the parents, I want you to hear this. They say, don't kill your children because one day they'll give you grandchildren. Come on, somebody, isn't that true? So just hang on, a better version of your child is coming and it's your grandchild, okay? Just hang in there. So, so we're all in different seasons, we have different experiences, but all throughout the Bible, we see the importance of the family unit. And really, since the beginning of humanity, the enemy, the devil, has been seeking whom he may devour, and he has tried to destroy the family household. If you think your family is dysfunctional, just look at the first family ever in the history of mankind with Adam and Eve. 
I mean, they had domestic violence that led to murder in the first family. Okay, so if your family ain't killed nobody, you're doing pretty good. But the, the Bible talks often about building our home, our spiritual home, our physical home, and our family home. And Jesus gets into this conversation in what we know to be the Sermon on the Mount. If you have your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 7. If you have your, 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 your actual physical Bible, flip there with me. If you've got your smartphone, you can use the Version Bible app or the Go Church app. has the opportunity for you to, to, to find and locate Scripture there. But I want to take you to Matthew chapter 7. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's the first public sermon that Jesus ever preaches. And for three days on top of a mountain, he begins to talk about Christian morals and ethics and values and principles and biblical, what would become pr- biblical practicals uh, for us to live by. Matthews 5, 6, and 7, the, the very last thing that Jesus says in his sermon before he comes down the mountain, which happens in Matthew chapter 8, verse number 1, the Bible says that Jesus comes down the mountain and then he begins uh, his public ministry, in a sense, by casting out the, the devil of someone who has leprosy and going to the home of, uh, of Peter to raise up his sick mother-in-law. You can read Matthew 8. But the final thing that he says in Matthew 7 is really what we're looking at as kind of the theme verses for our whole conversation in this family series. And here's what he says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Watch verse 25. The rain came down, the strings rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. Now, I know that in like, legit architectural design and engineering, you want to build your physical house on a firm foundation. Jesus here is really talking about our spiritual home, and he's talking about him being the rock, the chief cornerstone, right? Then he talks about the opposite of a wise man who would be a foolish man, and he says, okay, everyone who hears these words of mine, and you make a choice to not practice these words, you are like a foolish man. You would build your house on sand. The rains come, the streams rose, the winds blow and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, I showed you this last Sunday. I didn't put it on the screen, but we talked about it. But I really want you to understand this because this is probably the most important part of the whole message right here. It's the difference of a wise man and foolish man. The difference of of wise man and foolish man, which, by the way, this isn't gender-specific, So it could be a wise man, a wise woman, a foolish man, a foolish woman. But to a wise individual or a foolish individual, the difference is not knowledge and ignorance. And here's what I mean by that. Every single one of us know right from wrong. We all know what we need to do. It's just, are we going to choose to do it? So the difference between wise and foolish isn't knowledge and ignorance. It's obedience and disobedience. I'm going to stand up here for 35 minutes, which, by the way, the more amens you give, the faster I preach. We're going to be here a long time by that response. Come on now. But I'm going to stand up here. I'm going to give you a message that I believe the Lord's put in my heart to give you. And then you have a choice to make. Are you going to practice these words of, now these aren't my words or the Holy Spirit's words, but are you going to practice these words and be a wise person or will you disobey and try to build your life on your own foundation? And you know this because we've all got testimony and we've all got experience. That if you build your home, any kind of home, you build your home on things of the world instead of the things of the word, come on, big difference between word and world, 
If you build your things on the things of this world, every time a storm comes, and that is life, storms going to come. Every time a storms come, your, your spiritual home, your physical home, your family home will be built on sand, and it will crash. But if you build your life on the rock, which is Jesus, and I think every single one of us, I don't know anybody that says, you know what, I want my life to be dis- disastrous. I want my marriage to be terrible. I want my children to hate me. Nobody wants that. We all want a healthy home. We want a healthy marriage. We want healthy children. We want healthy grandchildren, physically, relationally, spiritually. The only way you get that result is to build your home on the rock of Jesus. That's a good place to pause and say, man, right there. Come on. So last Sunday, here's what we talked about. We talked about how our family is broken. And so I thought, you know what, we're going to do this series for for three consecutive Sundays, let's just stay with, with the letter B with each one of these particular topics. So last Sunday, if you missed it, go back and listen. We talked about our family is broken. Today, I want to talk to you about this idea of our, fam- our family is busy. Our family is busy. Now, some of you sitting there might think, well, this isn't very spiritual. You know, we're going to talk about scheduling and margin and creating boundaries. That's not, that's not spiritual. Let me challenge you for a moment, though, with that thought. I've said this before. It's worth repeating. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll just make you busy. And busyness causes us to drift further and further away from the things that are important. We'll talk about important things later on in this message. And we'll drift to a place that we never thought we would end up being. And let me challenge your thinking that busyness is an important topic in the Bible or to God. If you go back to Exodus chapter 20, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. He gives Moses the Ten Commandments on the tablets, and it's for the children of Israel. And and let me tell you this today, because there's a little bit of conversation around this, but the Ten Commandments are still commandments that you and I are required to live by today. You should have said amen. Come on. They're applicable, they're practical, they're needed so we know how to worship, what to worship, who to worship, what to do, what not to do, who not to worship, how not to live. It's a standard, it's a guideline. Now it's called the Ten Commandments because there are how many commandments? You are brilliant. (laughs) Ten Commandments. And watch this. When you get to uh, the idea of resting and Sabbath, which is right right in the front end, one-third end of the commandments, God begins to instruct us about remembering the Sabbath day and keeping it holy. Now, I want you to see this. This goes before, if you look at it in the order of how it was given, Sabbath, resting, prioritizing, margin, proper healthy scheduling goes before murder, adultery, and theft. So there is some spiritual conversation around the idea of you are overworked and overwhelmed. And God says it's because you're not keeping the Sabbath holy. You're not resting well. Now the word holy means set apart. The word Sabbath literally means day of rest. So it's taking time to set apart one day. And this is going to really challenge some of you, but to do nothing. To just rest. Watch, verse number nine. Everybody got this? Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Verse nine. Six days you shall labor. Six days you do all of your work. But on the seventh day, it is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
So you got six days to get it all done. That's why we start the front of the week on the Lord's Day. And you start in the house of the Lord and you kick off that week with God being the first priority. You work hard for those six days, but, but then there should be a day where, where you just rest. And on that day of rest, which by the way, this word is convicting, not just for you, it's convic- convicting for me to preach. I always share uh, some notes with Kimberly you know, prior to speaking so that when I get up here, at least I don't look like an idiot. Come on, somebody. And when she read over this particular message, she was like, man, this is, this is powerful, but it's convicting. You've got work to do. I've got work to do. We've got different seasons. But even the half-brother of Jesus, James, in the book of James, he says this, if you know the good you ought to do and you choose not to do it, it is a sin So I could even submit to you this morning that because you are not keeping a Sabbath day, you are sinning against God. And it's one of the reasons reasons that you feel overwhelmed, overworked, and exhausted. On this day, the Sabbath day, watch verse 10, you shall not do any work. And then God brings in the whole family. He says, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to your sons. I'm talking to your daughters. It is a day of rest. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. But then, let's read this highlighted yellow phrase on three. One, two, three. He rested on the seventh day. Therefore, watch, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. I'm going to start out with this question. It's kind of like a, a, little, a little right hook. You ready? Come on, somebody. Watch this. How well are you and your family doing at Sabbath? It's rhetorical. You don't have to answer aloud, but how, how well do you do at resting? I don't even like country music, but there's a country music song that comes into my brain. Come on, somebody. I'm in a hurry to get things done. Oh, I rush and rush until life's no fun. All I really got to do is live and die, but I'm in a hurry and don't know why. <laughs> Come on, thank you. It's the pain pills. Come on, somebody. I mean, we're in such a hurry and a rush. We don't even know why. Listen to me. This is important to know because I, I've, I have been to what I'm about to talk about. You only have so much mental capacity. You only have so much physical capacity. You only have so much bandwidth until eventually you will explode. You can only carry so much and you can only do so much until you finally hit a wall. You're overwhelmed, you're overworked, you're overburdened, and any other word that starts with over. Come on now. Like you're there, and this is what society says. Well, that's normal. Listen to me, normal doesn't work. We walked through so many statistics last Sunday on how normal isn't working. And God didn't call you to be an average family. God called you to be an above average family. You don't have to be another statistic. But watch this. I think so, so much of the symptoms of the dysfunction and craziness of your family is connected to the root system here of you don't honor the Lord with being intentional about a time of rest. You're going and going and doing and doing. And man, if you, I don't know how you keep your calendar, if it's on your smartphone or you got like a daily journal or calendar or whatever, but you look at that and you think, gosh. And then have you ever thought to yourself, how am I going to get it all done? 
You won't. Because there will always be more. Now, hear what I'm saying and not what I'm not saying, but I'm not thankful for COVID-19 and the pandemic. A lot of people got sick. A lot of people that we loved have died. If there is a silver lining in the pandemic, when literally almost exactly two years ago, when the whole world shut down, and remember, we went into lockdown. We went into quarantine, okay? That's when you're really going to find out if you've got a crazy family or not, is to be locked up for like, remember it was 15 days to slow the spread, and now it's like 24 months to slow the spread. But we'll get there, okay? But remember when we were locked down, and you couldn't go anywhere, restaurants weren't open, schools were closed. You're looking at me like a cow looking at a new gate. Do you remember that? Or I know that was like, that's a different world, but you remember... So when we were locked down, not glad it happened, don't ever want to go back to that. But if there was a silver lining, it caused us to stop. To stop. I can't speak for your family. I can only speak for our family. But we were on a fast track to burnout before he maketh me lie down in green pastures. The whole world stopped and we were in quarantine. And for those couple of weeks, I really loved my family. And then there was a moment I thought, I'm going to kill them. Come on, somebody. (laughs) But we stopped. And I remember saying this. Now, I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to repent publicly. But I remember telling Kimberly, whenever we come out of this and we get back into a new normal, whatever a new normal is, I will never be as busy as we were before this happened. And now here we are, and I think that we're making up for lost time because we are busier than we've ever been. How well are you and your family doing at the Sabbath? Now, we're not Jews. We're not Jewish people. We believe that, that God has sent the Messiah and his name is Jesus, amen? But there is a, a discipline that is worthy of celebration in the Jewish culture and that is their intentional Shabbat where once a week they pause and they've got a list of things that they can do and things they can't do. And there's something to be celebrated about that because of the discipline to say, you know what, we'll work six days, but then on the seventh day, we're just going to, we're going to rest a little bit. And there's something that happens to you mentally, physically, spiritually, when you just begin to Sabbath. One mentor said this to me one time years ago, and it's just, it's, it's stayed with me ever since. Sabbath is not optional. Sabbath is oxygen. You need to rest. You need to slow down. I look at my calendar nowadays. I'm like, man, we are in a hurry to get things done. And culture says it's normal for you to feel that way. And it's normal for you to be that way. But the apostle Paul told the church at Rome, and I'm not taking this verse out of context. I want you to lay this verse over the top of our conversation. He says, stop conforming to the pattern of this world. He's saying the ways of this world, they're not working. So he says, here's what you got to do. You got to be transformed by what? The way you think, the way your mind is, your perspective, the way that you analyze, the way that you process. You got to think differently. Be transformed here. And that's what I hope this message does is that it gets you to think a little bit about being overscheduled and overextended and overwhelmed. That is not of God. I don't want to get ahead of my thoughts, but God is not impressed with your busyness. God is impressed with your stillness. Only one person said amen there. If you go back to the beginning of the year, we did an eight-week series called Get in the Game. 
And I gave you this kind of theme thought throughout the whole series. And this week when I was just praying through this message, I was just reminded of it because it rings true to this conversation. This year is not going to be any different from last year unless you do something different from what you did last year. So your family is not going to be any different. You can be frustrated at them. You can be irritated at them. You can be angry at them. But until somebody makes a decision to do some things differently, and I'm telling you, if you would just start with saying, you know what? One day of the week, we're going to rest. There's a great book, I don't know if you've ever read it, called The Divine Mentor by Wayne Cordero. If you've not read it, pick up a copy. It's a great book. Anyway, in this book, he talks about, and it sounds funny, but it's not funny. He talks about a tree. And this isn't just any ordinary or average tree. This tree was actually planted in 1606. And it grew for a couple of hundred years to be over 240 feet high. Now it's located what would eventually be known as the Yosemite National Park. Anybody ever been there? Show of hands if you've ever been there. It's on a bucket list for me. I've not ever had the opportunity to go. But this tree that is in the book that Wayne Cordero wrote about was known as one of the original sequoia trees of Yosemite. A couple of years ago, and this is what he says in the book, This particular tree fell with no warning. 240 feet high, hundreds of years old, and the tree just falls over. So uh, the, the, the forest service, the parks service, does an internal investigation. I mean, this is a, a, a prized tree, a cherished tree. What would cause one of the sequoias, one of the first sequoias to fall in over 100 years at that point, what would cause the tree to fall? So they did this investigation, and this is what they ruled out. Uh, flash flooding, wildfires, poison, insects, uh, animals, lightning strike. They took all of that off because none of that made sense. And this is what the investigation revealed. I'll tell you what it is and then how we can tie it into the conversation today. They said that what caused this 240 foot high tree to fall over, watch this, was foot traffic, tourism. That people would come from all over the world and they would walk at the base of this particular tree and so much foot traffic happened that it damaged its root system. So once the the root system of this tree was damaged, then all of a sudden the tree just fell over. So now if you go to Yosemite, you'll see that, that some of their most prized trees, like the General Sherman, has a fence around it. So the forest department comes in and they put fences around these trees. What does a fence do? It keeps people where they need to be and it keeps them out from where they don't need to be. Ladies and gentlemen, that is what Sabbath is. Sabbath is a fence. Your day of rest is a fence, watch, that protects the root system of your family tree. Because if you don't have a fence to keep things out and to protect the things within, then the foot traffic of life, y'all gonna help me preach today or what? Then the foot traffic of life will, will trample on top of the root system, damage your family tree's root system, and one day your family tree, it will fall. Sabbath is a fence. Rest is a fence. Margin is a fence. Boundaries are a fence. And I'm learning this in our own life here. Let me give you three reasons. Well, I can do this in 15 minutes if you give me the time. Watch. Three reasons why your family needs a Sabbath. 
there's probably 30 reasons. I'm going to give you three reasons. I want you to write these down. Three reasons that your family needs to rest. Number one is this. Your Sabbath allows for intentional time with God. Now we're talking about the family, but the health of your family starts with your spiritual health. Last Sunday, we talked about pointing the finger at people, right? And how when you point your finger at somebody, you got three little fingers pointing right back at you. So we've got a part to play in this. So a Sabbath allows for intentional time with God because watch, you don't have to respond to this. We know it to be true though. When you get busy, it is your relationship with God that suffers the most, the most. So when you get, when you get to working and you get to going, and the kids have all of the extracurricular stuff and you're just, you're moving 90 to nothing. It's your relationship with God. It's your walk with God that gets put on the back burner. And then you get up and you start your day and you get to emails and you get to returning text messages and you get the kids ready for school. And, and then you think, well, at the end of the day, I'll spend time with God. And then, and then you're tired. You had a long day. So now the only real prayer that you're praying at nighttime is, now I lay me down to sleep because I'm exhausted. I'm not telling you that I've got it figured out. God is still growing me and maturing me. Nobody say amen to this, but I got a long way to go. Come on now, don't say amen. I'm not where I want to be, but I thank God I'm not who I used to be. Now you can say amen, come on. But I'm growing in all of this. But this year, God has really just burdened my heart and convicted my heart about the principle of first Making God first in my life. So this is just a practice. And in seasons in the past, I've been consistent and then inconsistent. But like, I want you to hear this. I try to put God first in every single area of my life. So I try to get up early to to get into the word and to pray and to read. I I try to put God, I don't try to put God. I do put God first in my finances. (laughs) The first thing I do when we get paid, I pay my tithe. I will pay a bill late before I pay it on time if I've not tithed first. It's not my money, it's God's money. I wish I had 100 people that would say amen right there. So I'm gonna put God first in the area of my money. I try, and sometimes I have to back up and apologize or own it, but I try to put God first in my conversations and my decisions. And this is, this is a hard one for me because I got a lot to say. Come on, somebody. If you want an opinion, ask me. I got an opinion. How many of you are that same way? I'll own that, okay? But I try to say, okay, let's go back to years ago. Remember the old WWJD bracelets? What would Jesus do? So I try to, I try to process it that way. Like, okay, I'm just going to put you first in my personal quiet time. I'm going to put you first in my finance. I'm going to put you first in my decisions. It's Matthew 6.33. Man, we use this verse in almost every series that we do here. Seek the kingdom of God. Somebody say these three words above all else another translation says it like this but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and he will give you everything that you need listen to me live out the verse don't live out the verse in reverse and this is where we get overwhelmed and over overworked we try to figure out everything that we need and then we leave what's left over to God. So we work hard, we play hard, we, we go, we do, moving, because we've got, we've got to provide, and I got a job, and I got a family, and those things are real. 
But what happens is, is that the Sabbath allows us to, to put God first in his rightful place. And then everything else he takes care of, we get so consumed with, well, we got to take care of everything else. And then we give God the leftovers. God doesn't want your leftovers. God wants your undivided attention. I hope you feel a little conviction with that, because I do. He says, don't worry about all of the other things. He says, if I'm going to take care of the sparrow in the air and, and the, the lilies of the field and the grass of the field, how, do you not think I'm going to take care of you? Listen to me. You may not have everything you want, but God will give you everything that you need. Come on. But above all else, you seek first the kingdom of God. There's a great story uh, that really kind of just summarizes this whole thought here in the New Testament. It's Luke chapter number 10. It's a story of two sisters, Martha and Mary. And I want you to self-identify who you think you are in this particular story, okay? And Jesus, and his, as Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary, watch this, Mary just sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. Well, this troubled Martha. She was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing. She came to Jesus and she said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair that my sister is just lazy? I don't want to help. don't want to do anything. I'm doing all the work. I'm cooking. I'm cleaning. I'm swiffering. Come on, somebody. Whenever we have a big dinner party, I mean, we go all out. You would think that we lived in the cleanest house in the United States of America. The toilet paper matches the shower curtain. Come on. You know, she's like, I'm frustrated. I'm sweating. She's sitting. I'm working. She's lazy. Watch, don't you think it's unfair that my sister just sits here while I'll do all the work? Tell her to get up and come help me. Watch verse 41 and 42. But the Lord said, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all of the details. What, what's the details? The work. You're so consumed by the job and the to-do list, and all the things that you have to get done. There is only one thing, Jesus says, there's only one thing worth being concerned about, and it's not being busy. It's about intentional time with God. Mary has discovered it, and I'm not taking that from her. I, I just wonder, because I'll hear people say something like this. Well, God's not speaking. Yes, he is. God is always speaking. Maybe we're just too busy to hear him speak. God will speak to you this afternoon audibly. I guarantee it. Go home, open up your Bible, and read it aloud. And God will be speaking to you. But we've got to slow down and we have to pause. Are you Mary or are you Martha? Now, this doesn't happen all the time, but I want you two ladies to come join me on the stage. They didn't know this was going to happen, but you got to move quick because we're live streaming. Come on, somebody. Help them up here. Uh, these two ladies are Mary and Martha. Like, literally, this is their name, Mary and Martha. And I saw them during worship, and I thought, this illustration couldn't be any better. Mary and Martha. Are y'all not helping me with this? Is this just me that's blown away? Am I the only one that's just like, holy cow, of all the sermons, of all the scripture that I could have used today, these twin sisters, Mary and Martha, are here? This is unbelievable. I don't even know which one is who. I do. Yes, I do. 
But I'm just thinking, God is always speaking. And now you will never forget in your mind's eye, Mary and Martha, because they're here. Literally right here. Why aren't you taking a picture of this? Are you, you're looking at them like, I looked at them like, really, is Mary and Mar- What was it like when Jesus, okay, go ahead. We were just so thrilled. Yeah, you were, so she said we were so thrilled. Come on, give it up for Mary and Martha. <laughs> Only at Go Church. No words. Intentional time with God. I hope that blessed your heart the way that it blessed mine. Let me give you two more. You have to have a Sabbath because it allows for intentional time with family. I'm not going to bore you with much more to say here, but this is not about, watch this, write it down. This thought is not about the quantity of time. It's about the quality of time. Now, we're in a different season. I already feel emotional, babe. We're in a different season because we got my son who's 12, just turned 12 in January, Lakeland. My little girl, London, will be seven at the end of the month. So our home's really busy, and our kids are home, and, and they're going to school. And so, our, you know, this story may not be your story, but in some way you can understand it. Right now, I don't get a lot of quantity time with them. So they got to be at school by 7.45, so we get them up about 6.30, and every day our kids wake up thanking God, this is school. Okay, I lied. <laughs> We drag them out of bed. Come on, somebody. Make them brush their teeth. They're up at 6.30. Get ready. Get a little breakfast. So watch. I got, I got a 30-minute commute from my house to drop off at their school. That's not a lot of time, but we make the most of that time. Now, you can think whatever you want to think about my family, but, man, in that 30 minutes, because one of my jobs is, as dad is to take them to school. Kimberly picks them up from school. And that 30-minute car ride... I could get on my email. It's against the law to text and drive and email and drive, but I could, get on my, I could get on the phone and call some people. And I'm not saying that's never happened in the past, but I think about that we got 30 minutes and this is what my kids know. You can ask them. We have church every morning for 30 minutes. The kids get to play the worship songs. They get to pick the worship songs. Daddy always has a devotion. Come on, somebody. We have a prayer that we pray as a family and we have church before the kids get out of the car, we have church. The other morning, uh, I told you the story of me flying to Colorado. That morning, what a morning that was. You got to go back and hear the story last week. But the kids were eating breakfast on the go because we were running a little bit behind. We had to get in the car. We were playing worship songs, and I was giving them a verse of the day. And uh, I guess in the back seat, the kids had gotten down to one final grape, just one final grape. And so my daughter says, and I can hear she says, Lakeland to her brother, can I have that grape? And Lakeland says, you eat it. Go ahead, you eat it. Well, she thought he said, you idiot. <laughs> She's hysterical, bawling, crying. And I'm like, what is going on? He called me an idiot. He, I said, baby, he said, you eat it. You eat it. And then I started to think, that kind of sounds like you idiot. <laughs> We prayed that spirit out of the car, though. We prayed the spirit of idiots out of the car. But we have church. We play worship music. You know, we sing, and the kids pick, and we have church. Then watch this, and then they go to school. They get home mid-afternoon. On a good day, I leave the office a little after 5. I'm at home at 5.30. My kids are in bed by 8, 
I got a few hours. I don't get a lot of time. But what we do in the time is what matters. I have been in ministry a long time, over 22 years. I've married a lot of people. I've buried a lot of people. I have knelt by the deathbed of people that I love that are transitioning from this life to the next. Never once, not one time did I hear that person dying say, I wish I would have worked more overtime. I wish I would have traveled more on business. I wish I would have opened up another whatever. No, you know what matters most in those final moments? Faith and family. I went to Colorado last week. I came home. My kids always think that when I come back from out of town, they get a gift. They are so spoiled. And I didn't have time on this trip to get them anything. Lakeland understood. It wasn't really a big deal to him. But little London, she wasn't having it. She came in and she was like, where's my gift, dad? And I was like, baby, I, didn't, I just didn't have time. She goes, well, we need to fix this. <laughs> so I said, you know what? I'll tell you what. Tomorrow, I'm gonna what? you'll love this, parents. I said, I'm going to take you to the Dollar General. <laughs> and you can have anything you want. She goes, anything? I said, baby, at the Dollar General, anything. So we go to the Dollar General. She picks up this little plastic egg, and on the wrapping it said, 60 pieces inside. I said, London, for $5, you get 60 toys. This is unbelievable. She was like, that's what I want. I want that, and I got, got her one other thing. And then, of course, we got Lakeland something too. Long story short, we get home. I take the stuff out of the bag, and Kimberly looks at me, and she says, she calls me Jake. You know that already. She says, Jake, did you know you bought a 60-piece puzzle? I was like, I didn't buy no puzzle. Ain't nobody got time for that. I didn't buy no puzzle. She was like, babe, you bought a 60-piece puzzle. And London goes, we got to put it together. We have to put this together. Me and you, we'll put the puzzle together. I almost lost my sanctification. Come on, somebody. I thought, why would the Dollar General do this to me? So we take out the puzzle. We start to work on the puzzle. I'm not exaggerating this. We're 15, 20 pieces in to a silly little puzzle. She says, Dad, this is the best part of my day. I said, mine too. We got about 40 pieces into that dumb 60 piece puzzle. She said, we, we are a really good team. I said, we really are. We finished the puzzle. It's still on the kitchen counter because I don't want to take it apart. It's not about the quantity of time. It's about the quality of time. Listen to me. Don't let the urgent take priority over what's important. The phone call can wait. The email can wait. But your family can't wait. You know what? Get back to the family table. Do dinner again. Eat with your family be present with your family. You know what I learned about a $5 puzzle? London doesn't care about presents. She cares about my presence. 
She's, she would have done anything if it meant she was with me. Church is important. Family is important. But what happens is all of a sudden, the urgent starts to happen. It's like, well, I got to go or I got to hurry or I got to do. And then you know what? Man, Jesus. Here's what you have to do. You got to learn to say no to some things. You got to learn to say no. And it's not no just for no, but it's no so that you can say yes to the best thing. The older I get, man, and maybe it's because it's kidney stone, and I thought, I'm going to die this week. This week, I'm dying. I told Kim, I was like, listen, here's, all, here's a contact list for the will, the insurance company, the mortgage. Here's the whole thing, because this week, I'm going to die. This kidney, she's like, you can't die this week. I was like, I feel like I'm going to die. Anybody ever have a kidney stone? You know what I'm talking about. I'm like, look at my face. I'm going to die this week. Here's the list, right? It's not about saying no just to say no. It's about saying yes because I'm learning what really matters. What really matters. Now, you'd love to stay home and not work, but you love your family enough to work, to get an income to provide for them. But don't love your work more than you love your wife. Don't love your work more than you love your husband. Don't love your work more than you love your children. Are you here? Anybody hearing me? Come on. Learn to say no to the good things so that you can say yes to the best things. Good Lord willing, I'll be at every practice, every game, every dance recital. Because I want my kids to look up and to see this ugly mug cheering them on. And I'm the kind of dad that I'm going to cheer so loud that it will embarrass my children. Come on, dads. Who is that? That's me. All right. One final thought, and we're done. Your Sabbath gives you a time of rest. Thank you, Jesus. I, we're out of time, so I'm not going to preach this. I'm going to give you this thought that I had this week, though. If I don't rest, man, I'm just not at my best. When I'm tired, I'm irritable. I'm anxious, I'm stressed, I'm frustrated. And this is just me, all right? This is my sermon, so. But I take it out on the people that are closest to me, relationally and proximity. But I've learned that if I just rest, and that's what Sabbath does, if I just rest, I'm gonna be at my best. And that's so important for you. Just rest, just rest. All right, let me give you two closing questions. They're going to sing us a chorus here, and then I'll pray for you. But what the Holy Spirit speak to your heart today? And then what next step do you need to take in your faith journey here? Let me give you one advice. I look across this room. I don't know everybody, but I know quite a few stories here. Faith and family. Faith and family. Faith and family. You put God first and you honor your family, God will take care of everything else. I don't know what the future has for me, but if, if, if I lost everything, but I had my relationship with God, my wife, and those two kids, my whole life would be a success. Faith and family. Faith and family. Has bowed, eyes closed.